take our Bibles, open it to Ephesians chapter 2, and today will be a part two of this, um, probably the most famous passage in the book of Ephesians, that we are saved by grace. Uh, This is one of the foundations of the Christian faith. This is what we need to believe. This is what makes Christianity different from all other religions, is that it is not from us or from our work. This is from God, for God, and for His glory. And and today we're going to zoom into verse 10. And to look and consider what it means that we are called the workmanship of God and what that means for us today. Let's read together. This is the reading of God's word. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your your mercies, even as we were singing, Lord, how our hearts are strengthened by your grace. Lord, thank you that it's not by our works, it's by your grace that we stand before you. Father, I pray that you will help us to understand verse 10 specifically tonight clearly and Help us to avoid um, the heresies that are so quickly entangled in the gospel. But help us to stand um, against false gospels and stand upon your word and believe it and live it out for your name's sake. So, Father, please fill us with your spirit. Give us your spirit that we might come to know you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, as I said last week, um, just as Ephesians is one of those books which highlights the sovereignty of God over all things most, I think there's another element of the book of Ephesians that really highlights and has a very lofty and high view of the Christian. So Ephesians doesn't just have a high and lofty view of the sovereignty of God, but I think there are few books that have such a high and lofty view of the Christian as the book of Ephesians. And the reason for that is not because there's something intrinsically valuable in us, but rather that the Christian has found every spiritual blessing in whom? In Christ, right? So the Christian is valuable because Jesus is valuable. The Christian is united to Christ. We are one with Christ. So remember, just think back on the the identity of a believer in chapter 1 of Ephesians. The Christian is called a saint, chosen, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, lavished with grace, enlightened, sealed, secured by the Spirit. Right? So just just chapter 1, just looking at that blessings we have, this is who we are, and this is how God views us. And then when Paul prays for us, he emphasizes that, that he would pray that we would understand what? God's inheritance in us. Right? So we would have normally said, Lord, help us to understand our inheritance in you. But Paul shifted around and said, I pray that God might help you understand how much God treasures us as his saints. Just as a husband treasures his wife, so God treasures his people. And in our text, Paul gives us yet another lofty reality of what the Christian is. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And the flow of chapter 2 is beautiful. Okay, So verses 1 to 3, Paul's been showing us that we are dead in our sins. We are enslaved to the flesh and the world and the devil. So that was amazing depth. Amazing depth, right? And then we saw amazing grace. He, took, he saved us and raised us to amazing heights. 
So we were, there was an amazing depth and there was an amazing height. He raised us up with Christ. We're seated with Christ. And God will, for all of eternity, show us kindness. Why? Because we are saved by grace, not by works. And beloved, here we need the balance of what the Christian is. If you have been attending our church for any length of time, you will know that we often speak about sin, the wrath of God, judgment day, our utter sinfulness, right? And that emphasis, I believe, is right. If you look at the first three chapters of Romans, Paul spends the first three chapters of Romans just to convince the patient that he is sick. We are sinful, right? That's what we need to hear. So because by nature, we don't think we're sinful. By nature, we think we're quite naturally good, morally fine, just need a few tweaks, a few improvements, right? So we emphasize that because of the um, like our natural pride. We're proudful. But, okay, with that said, there's a danger there as well. There's a danger with so emphasizing our sinfulness, our wickedness, our utter inability to save ourselves, that we start to lose our identity as a Christian. In other words, we can so emphasize the bad news that we stop believing the good news. That's a real danger for us. We can so emphasize who we were as unbelievers that we think that that is still who we are as believers, still under the wrath of God, still God's enemies. That's why I love expository preaching, making the main point of the passage, the main point of the sermon. Because if you were in the sermon of verses 1 to 3, it was a very dark sermon. You were dead in your sins, right? That's the main point. You can't save yourself. You are utterly sinful. But today, where are we? Verse 10, okay? We are his workmanship. So on, depending on what Sunday you are, you, that's the thing about expository preaching. You're gonna, you are going to get both sides of the coin, even in the same chapter, because we're just moving through the passage. And so today will be a more of an uplifting sermon because our text is more of an uplifting text. And that's going to be the main point, right? That we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And, but the irony is that even as, while it's an uplifting sermon, it will still put us down because at the end you'll realize, I can't boast. It will remove your boasting. So even though it lifts you up, it also humbles you at the same time. Okay, I'm his workmanship, not my own workmanship. Because look at the way Paul structured this. In verse 8, he begins with the word for, and in verse 10, he begins with the word for. And when you see that, you know there's reasons. Two reasons for something, and I believe the something is verse 9. He says, not a result of work so that no one may boast. You have two reasons that you cannot boast why you are a Christian or why you are saved. The first reason, we looked at this last week, and this outline will just be a recap as well, because salvation is all of grace. Remember, that's what verse 8 and 9 says. Salvation is all of grace. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. You cannot boast about your salvation. Why not? Your, the salvation, the grace, the faith is a gift. Even the faith that you had to exercise to put in Christ doesn't come from you. It's a gift from God. So that you're no, no better than anybody else that is not saved. It is all of God's grace for all of God's glory. But here's the second reason, and this is, is more surprising to us because of our involvement in this area, and that is that our sanctification is all of grace too. But, it, but these two things look, look a little bit differently as well. With justification, we did nothing. 
we believed, we just looked to Christ. But in sanctification, we have to put in some effort. There has to be some holy sweat. You have to discipline yourself for godliness. But yet at the same time, every single good work you ever did was prepared for you. God prepared that for you. So after you, so, okay, like your, your saving isn't from you. Your good works has been prepared for you. What's left? Okay, God, you just take all the glory. Just take it all, right? And once we, when we're going to be in heaven, we're going to look at our lives and see the tapestry of our lives and how God has weaved our works and everything we have done together in his great plan to glorify the son. And that's what we see in verse 10, right? He says, we are his workmanship. So we're going to look at just two broad points in verse 10, and then a few sub-points under them. First, we're going to look at the creation. The Christian is created by God, and then good works are created for the Christian. So the Christian is created by God, and then secondly, good works have been created for the Christian. So firstly, Paul makes it clear that we as Christians, we are the creation of God. And we see that, I'll just highlight that in three truths so under the first point, there's three truths that we are his creation. The first one is we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. We see that clearly in verse 10 when it says, we, for we are his workmanship. Now, what does that word mean? The, the Greek word here is beautiful. It, it's the Greek word poema, where we get our English word poem, right? So if you would transliterate it, it would almost sound like we are God's poem, now, but in the ancient, in, in this culture, a, a poema was not just a poetry or literature. A poema came to mean or was meant any work of art. It could have referred to a painting. It could have, it could have referred to a, a building, a statue. All of that was a poema, a work of art. So that one person, one scholar translated this passage like this. We are his work of art, his masterpiece. Okay? And it is clear Paul is not thinking of... You know, just um, making a few adjustments to us, but really thinking of a new creation because of the very next phrase. Look at again at verse 10. He says, we are his workmanship. What? Created. Created. In Christ Jesus for good works. So this work of poema is connected to God's creation. The same word was used, for example, in Romans 1 verse 20. Just listen to Romans 1 verse 20. It says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that has been made. Poema. There's the word. In the things that has been made. The poema. So the physical creation is connected to God's poema. But the Christian is the second poema of God. The, the Christian, you could say, is created twice. We are physically created and therefore, God deserves our worship and our obedience. But more than that, he's created us anew in Christ. So that's beautiful, right? Christians are created twice. We, we, belong, to God, we, we belong to him doubly, by virtue of creation as well as by virtue of salvation. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, you should know this verse. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God wanted the church to be the apex of his creation. Think about the beauty of physical creation for a moment, if you want. Uh, remember, the, the heavens declare the glory of God. Think of the most beautiful sunrise morning. Think of that bright orange colors washing on the horizon as it lights up everything around you. 
Think of the beautiful night where millions of stars are sprinkled in the sky for our delight and for our joy. But all of that is not the apex of God's creation. Think of a baby and the wonder of a new life being brought into the world. People are created in the image of God. But still, even us as mankind, we are not the apex of God's creation. Rather, here we see the poema, the, the, the climax of his creation, the new creation, the church. Not creating something out of nothing, but creating something out of deadness, out of a corpse, right? Out of an enmity towards God, he creates his church. So remember this, this was, this was an act of hostility against God, dead in our sins, and he took this deadness, these dead people, and he raised us up with Christ, and he made us alive. He is forming us into the image of his son, and that is the masterpiece called the church. So how can we see if you are the, the workmanship of God? How do you know if you have been recreated? Well, here's the second truth. Not just are we work, the workmanship of God, but that good works are the result of this workmanship. Good works are the result of this workmanship of God. That's how you can see whether you are the poema of God. Look at verse 10. The rest of it says, For we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus. And then it says, For good works. Notice how closely um, the idea of we're not being saved by works and good works like follow one on top of each other, right? Verse 8 and 9 says, We are saved by grace through faith, not your own doing, not a result of works. And then immediately he says, We are created for good works. You see the, 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 the difference there? We're not saved by works, but we're saved for good works. The order is important. We don't try to save ourselves by just accumulating a lot of good, good um, works. I love what one brother said at the growth group. We're not just, if you're, a, if you're a bad tree, don't just staple on good fruits onto your tree. Hope it will change you from the inside out, right? No, you need to, you need to be radically changed from the inside out so that the good fruits will result. Here's another verse to consider, Titus 2, verse 14. It says, Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's why he saved us, to be zealous for good works. Or you could say it like this, if God is working in you, you will be working for God. If God is working in you, you will be working for him. That will be the effect. He will take out that heart of stone that does not naturally love him, and he will make your heart soft. He will give you a sensitive conscience, a heart that loves Christ. That's how you know if you're a Christian. There will be some fruit, some fruit of love for God, love for his word, a desire for holiness, a fear of God, a love for his people, a love for other Christians, at-homeness with other Christians. So an easy question you can ask yourself is this. Do you find a desire in you to be more like Christ, to become more like the Savior that loved you first? Do you desire to know God, not about him, know him? Do you, know, do you, do you desire to know him more? To be, do you desire to be more controlled in your thinking by the word of God? Do you, do you desire to be more filled with the Spirit, more controlled by the Holy Spirit? Do you desire to be more rid of the indwelling sin that is still in all of us? Do you hate not other people's sins? Do you hate your sins? Do you hate your sins? If so, then you are God's workmanship, right? 
God is working in you. Are you a stranger to these things? The things that I've just mentioned, are these things foreign to you? You you haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Are you con- this is a good way to ask this. Are you content with the heart you have right now? Are you content with that heart? <laughs> then fear. You are not his workmanship. You are not created in Christ Jesus for good works. You still need to be born again. You still need to come to Christ. Now, I'm not suggesting that Christians should always have this spiritual high of always zealous for good work, always loving God, always loving the Bible. No, there's seasons of the wilderness, season of drought, you could say. But yet your heart is inclined. Your heart is bent towards God. Even in the dry seasons, you long for him. You long for your joy to be restored. Listen to how Jesus said this, John 15 verse 8. He says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Do you want to prove to be the disciple of Jesus? Well, bear much fruit. And if you don't bear fruit, he's going to prune. The vine dresser is going to cut and it's going to be painful. It's going to be hurtful, but it's going to be good for you. This even highlight, remember, in the way he spoke of our former life in verses 1 to 2. Remember that one word. Don't forget that one word in verse 1 and 2. It says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Keyword, once. Past. No longer your walk, your, your star, your living. These sins, this following of our own flesh, following of our own desires, that's no longer characterized. That's not what we do anymore. Rather, we are now walking in good works. And some of you might wonder this. You might be listening to me. Say, but if I'm God, God's workmanship, why is my life such a mess? Okay, so I do see some of these evidences of grace and some of these desires, but why do I struggle so much with my sin? Why is this so hard? Why do I find myself failing so often? Doesn't that prove that I'm not God's workmanship? Oh, here's the third truth. I love this. Christians are a work in progress. (laughs) So although we are God's work, at the same time, we are also a work in progress, okay? Are you in heaven? It's a rhetorical question. We are in porch. We're in South Africa. We can't keep the lights on, right? You know this frustration. (laughs) And if you are on earth, it means God is not done. He's not done with you. I love the story of like a a young mother that had one child and she felt like, I can't survive. How can I survive this, this viper in diaper? Like it's, it's, and then this mother looks at another mother with five children. She just looks like a boss. She like, you know, flips the pram with her toes, like two children at the back, one, two children in her arms. And the other one is just walking, you know, other ones carrying the other child, right? It's like, and she just has everything together. It's like how I'm never going to be that. Like it's, she was so discouraged. And a few years later, she saw another young mother with one child, and she realized, wow, she became that mother over the few years. Maybe not with five children. I don't know what to, how many children she has now. But the point is this, that when we look at sometimes mature believers and we feel like, how can I be saved? I'm not like, like that saint or like this saint. But remember, we're a work in progress. Like a Christian growth is much like the growing of grass. Have you ever, you know how that works. When you just stare at it, you're frustrated. Like nothing's happening here. But just after a week, you're like, why is the grass all overgrown? And like, I have to, right? But that's how the Christian grows. Like, if you just look at a Christian after a few years, you just see that growth. But if you stare at us for for a moment, you don't see that. 
But that's the thing. We are all, this is, this is important. We're all in the middle of our sanctification. All of us. And can I shock you? I am in the middle of my sanctification. I'm going to sin. I'm a sinner. I'm still sinning. So sometimes people come to church and they expect a group of angels without sin to love them unconditionally and to just shower them with love, ready to wash their feet, ready to give them whatever they need, ready to care. And then once they find one sin, like hypocrites, can't believe this group of hypocrites, I'm out. But they forget, yes, we are the church, yes, we are his workmanship, but we are also a work in progress, right? Now, again, I'm not trying to excuse us or say if we sin, we should repent of that, but, but don't, don't be shocked. That's my point, right? Instead, if you don't believe, number three, that we're a work in progress, you're in danger. Remember what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12, he says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Think he stands. Think I'm done. Think my, my, my journey is over. I don't have any more sins to kill. It is, it's, it's done, right? And John, I like John. John is just straight. He says, you're a liar. Okay, if you think you're done, you're a liar. 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin. Notice the present tense. It's not had sin, past tense. We have at this moment no sin. Liar. We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in So someone that might be thinking like that, right? You, you do get the doctrine called uh, um, sinless perfection. That some, some Christian groups believe you can attain a, a level of sinless perfection where you don't have to repent of your sin. Or they haven't repented of sins for like years. I think we can just say with, with John, you are deceived. God says you're deceived, right? The truth is not in you. That, that, that's what we should say to people like that, okay? But that the work of justifying us, declaring us not guilty, and forgiving our sins takes a moment. It's a moment, and we are holy in Christ. We are called a saint. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the work of putting our sin to death, of sanctification, of becoming more like Christ, is a lifetime project. And it won't end until you breathe your last breath or until Jesus comes again. Some of you might know that Michelangelo was once asked what he was doing as he was chipping away at the rock. And he replied, I'm liberating this angel from the stone. It's a beautiful quote, right? And that's exactly what God is doing with us. He is chipping away that old sinful person. You're single. You think you're holy. He, he gives you a wife. He gives you a husband. You realize, whoa, I'm sinful. And then when you think you've arrived, he gives you children. Like, okay, I'm super sinful. <laughs> okay. Then he gives you two children. Like, I'm done. <laughs> okay. But that's good, beloved. That's why we should embrace these gifts, right? Don't hate children. Children are a blessing. It's a highway of sanctification. Let's go. And what but what are his tools of grace? What are the things he uses to chip at us, to, to sanctify us? Let me just list a few of them. The church. Right now, God is chipping at you. He's moving, he's working in you. His word, prayer how we've been praying together. We prayed before the service. Fellowship. Afterwards, we share our burdens. We talk to one another. We share prayer requests. The Lord's Supper. We're going to have the Lord's Supper soon as well. Preaching of God's word. Here's the one we don't like. Trials and sufferings and hard times are God's chisels, God's tool to chip away this old man, this old woman in us and to make us more like Christ. 
Therefore, it follows that as, as if you neglect these tools of grace, if you're a Christian and you say, I, I'm not going to spend time in the Bible, I'm not going to spend time in prayer, I'm not going to commit to a church, I'm not going to be part of a Sunday service, I'm, I'm just going to do this thing on my own, your growth will be stunted. You won't grow. You will reach your cap. You won't, you're not going to become mature. But the Christian that gladly submits himself under these tools of grace, no matter how painful it is, Beloved, it's, it's uncomfortable sometimes to read the Bible. It's uncomfortable sometimes to pray and you have to bring back your mind for the 10th time. It's uncomfortable to have fellowship with people that are not like you, that don't look like you, that don't have the same interests as you, right? It's, it's uncomfortable. It's painful. The Lord, I believe the Lord puts in every church a, a woolly sheep, you know, a sheep who has a little bit more wool than the rest. Like he's, he takes a little bit more maintenance. You have to like push him down while you shear him, right? It's not, not an easy sheep, but the Lord puts that sheep there that we can learn to be patient, learn to forgive. Think about it. How can you ever learn to forgive if nobody sins against you? Right? So we need that. So beloved, so here's my encouragement to you. Do you, do you see yourself not just as a sinner? Right? Also as God's poema, God's work of art. Do you have that hope for your growth in your godliness? Because you know that you are not left to your own strength. You're not left to your own resources and your own power. God is working. Take courage, Christian. You are God's creation. And he finished. When he saves you, he saves you well. And that we can trust him. And here's the second point. Not only are the Christian God's creation, but good works have been created for the Christian. Good works have been prepared for us. That's why Paul says at the very end of verse 10, um, Ephesians 2, at the end of verse 10, it says, which the good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now you might ask, why did Paul add that last phrase? Why was that phrase necessary? Think of me, if Paul, Paul could have just ended his, his, his verse, the verse right there. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Makes perfect sense without this last part, right? Not saved by works, we're saved for good works, done. Why does he include that last section? Well, because we are tempted to think our good works is due to us. Our good works is from our wisdom, our creativity, our energy, our ability to initiate or to be zealous. Just like faith in verse 8 is our temptation to think comes from us, so even our good works we are tempted to think is just me. But no, Paul is trying to say, listen, you have no reason to boast. These good works that you were created for was not prepared by you. It was prepared by God. But surely, you must say, our good works, we have something to do in that, right? No. Here are a few other verses. Let me just read a few other verses for you. Um, John 3, 20 to 21, it says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Our works are carried out in God. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. This is that, that phrase as well where we are working out. Listen, it says, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. You have to work. You have to do this. But he says, for it is God who works in you, 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So even as justification and salvation and every Christian doctrine, is there's a mystery involved here. Sanctification is a great mystery. Right? You could almost say it is 100% us and 100% God. We have to work out our salvation, and yet it is God who works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. Just twin truths. God is sovereign, man is responsible. Both are true, and we take them both. But just to be clear, these good works are the things that you must do. Right? At the end of verse 10, it says, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. We are the ones doing these good works. So God's not going to do the good works for you. That's the good works you need to do. God does the work in us, and he, does, he creates in us the desire and the power to do that so that when we do it, we can say, God, this work that I'm doing is from you and by your grace. I praise you for the very thing I did right now. Because if you, O oh Lord, did not empower me, grant me breath, changed my heart of stone, and if you have not lined up my circumstances in such a providential, sovereign way, I would have never done this thing. It's to your glory. So let me highlight three applications in closing for us. What does this preparing for good works, how does this should change the way we think and the way we live? The first way God prepares these good works for us is by the way he gifted us. You could say giftedness. Okay, so you might ask, how does God prepare these good works? Well, number one, by your giftedness. Some of us are teachers, and so what, what is the good work God wants to providentially use in your life? You need to teach, okay? Some of us are excellent at encouragement. What do you need to do? You need to be encouraging others. Others are gifted at administration, at helping, at mercy, at giving. Now, what I like about the gifts, some of these gifts are not just something that only some believers have. All of us have to be teachers in some sense, Right? If, you, if you're a parent, you have to teach your children. We have to teach unbelievers. We all have to be teachers, but some are gifted in teaching. We all have to be merciful, but some are gifted in mercy. All of us have to give, but some are gifted with giving. So like, what are, your, what are you just naturally good at? What is those things that you just naturally do well? Those are the things that God is using to prepare you for good works. And, but our problem is when we see other more flashy good works, we tend to be envious of that. We're not content. Lord, why didn't you give me this gift? But beloved, don't grumble. Don't grumble at this. This is the way God prepares good works for you to do. This is the way God wires you. God sees everything you do in secret. Whether you pray in secret, God's going to reward you for that. God himself will reward you. But not even in, our, in your spiritual gift. I want to mention something else that God has providentially used. And that is even your male and femaleness, right? Did any of us choose our genders? No. We were born of that. God created us male and female. And there is actually a difference between masculinity and femininity. So in another sense, we could be trying to force our way into a certain action or certain things we need to do that just is not how God made us to be. Men, I believe the Bible is clear, God wired us and made us and created us to be leaders, protectors, and providers. We use our strength to lead our families and our our wives and our children, to protect our families, to serve our families with our strength. So men, that's the good work God has prepared for you. You need to do this. Again, if you look at how God made femininity, taking man out of or taking women out of Adam for Adam, 
right? To show and to emphasize that women is completely equal with man in dignity, yet there's a different role God has given a wife. So as a, as a wife, your role is to be a helper for your husband, to be a homemaker. Let me just share this. I think this is very natural, right? Um, there was a time when, before I was married, I lived alone in our house that we eventually lived in. And I thought the house looks perfect. The house looks fine, right? I mean, I have a bed and I have a kitchen. What more do you want from a house? But after I married, Deborah moved in. You know what changed? Literally, the smell changed. Like, literally, there was an aroma. There was like, what is this house? The sudden, there's just this blossoming of the house. And she did nothing. She just moved in. And the house smelled better. <laughs> right? So, ladies, please. This is beautiful. This is something you shouldn't squash. You shouldn't, don't listen to what like um, secular feminism tells you, that you have to be this independent woman of a man and you should just be on your own. That's a lie. That's a lie. That will destroy your life. But no, you are uniquely gifted to help us, right? Who, who normally needs help, the strong or the weak? Right? Somebody help that man. Like, come on. Somebody get in there. It's like, Okay, I'll make him a helper fit for him, right? Here's a wife. It's like, oh, thank you, Lord. I was drowning here. And of course, even in the, the biological way and the natural way of a woman bearing children, raising children, I mean, my wife is amazing. She carries our child. She gave birth to our child. She fed our child. I, didn't, I, I couldn't do those things, even if I wanted, right? That's glorious. That's beautiful, so rather, rather than resisting these good works that God has prepared for you, embrace that. Of course, there's exceptions. Of course, the fall has broken our bodies and so, like miscarriages, sometimes women can't give birth, all of those things. But we know that's not the way it was supposed to be. But rather we say, listen, let's embrace our masculinity and femininity for those are the good works God has prepared for us. It's the devil, ch church, that says to us that we should focus on the things we cannot do. Remember the first temptation? Here's a tree you cannot eat from. Take it. Right? Who can tell you not to do something? That's the first temptation. Daughters of Eve, don't listen to Satan. Trust God. Trust God with who you are and embrace that. Of course, you can use a screwdriver to stir some coffee and tea and see. See, it works. Right? I, I just did it. It worked. But that's not what it was made for, Right? Similarly, women are, are, some women are better leaders. Some women are better preachers. Some women are just better. Just, just to share this, Deborah is like the maintenance lady in our house. Like, she's just a boss. Like, I just say, can you help me with this, right? So, but here's the thing is we reflect this image of God. Men, we love like Christ loves. We lead like Christ leads. And wives and women, we submit, we respect and we look to our husbands and we help them and support them. And that's the way God made us. And that's beautiful and that's good. But here's the second thing. So our giftedness, but also God has prepared good works for you by your location. By your location. Some of you are in places where other Christians will never be able to go. In your workplace, in the study, at lecturers or wherever you are, you are moving around at places where God has prepared good works for you, which I would never be able to do because I'm not there. So some of you might feel like that, like if I only could live in that area, if I only had that house, if only I had this, this job or that, that place, then I could be really useful for God, right? 
Some of you have jobs that just feels worthless. It just feels meaningless. Perhaps you're a full-time mom or, or you have a job that just, you just have a very difficult boss and you a very diff difficult working environment. And you might be thinking, if only I had a different situation, then I can really shine. Beloved, you live right now where you live. You do right now what you do. You work right now where you work because God has prepared good works for you. How would that change the way you just viewed your the people that you come across with, the people that you are, that God has placed you so providentially there. He has scattered his children across this world so that we might be win people to Christ. So the, while this doesn't mean that if you are looking for a new job or looking for a different situation, that that's somehow ungodly or wrong. No. Paul said to a slave, the slaves in 1 Corinthians 7, that if you can avail yourself of your freedom, do it. So if you can improve your situation, do that. But in the meantime, stay where you are with God. Stay where you are with God and serve him right there. Live for God. It's not meaningless. And lastly, and this is going to be a short one, this should encourage you that your life matters. Your life matters. Your life is not meaningless to God. If you have breath in your lungs, there's good works to do, right? If you wake up in the morning, there's, there's good works to do. You have a purpose. You have a meaning. Don't believe the lie that you have to first have a certain salary or a certain position or a certain something, and then you will have meaning in your life. Or even marriage or even children like that. If you have those things, then you will have meaning. No. We prayed for our single people today, and think of the... Jesus Christ, he was the most perfect man who ever lived, and he was single, right? And if you have Christ, you have an eventual wedding day coming. Your wedding day is coming, right? Even marriage today is a shadow of that wedding day. So it's not meaningless who you are, where you are, your situation in life. It's not meaningless. God has a plan for you. Yes, this life is difficult, but Christ will return. And we will look back over our lives and see his grace how he has prepared us, how he has worked, so we will just stand amazed at him. Beloved, why do you have nothing to boast? Two reasons, because of your salvation, the grace, the faith, the saving is not from you, it's a gift. Secondly, because where you are right now, you are the workmanship of God, and the good works you do have been prepared for you. So let us remove our boasting. Let us stop thinking of ourselves as important by what the world values from us, but let us Look to God and say, Lord, thank you that we are the trophies of your grace and we want to shine for your name's sake. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are our creator. You have created us physically, every blood cell, every vessel, every breath, every second we have is a gift from you, Lord. If you decide for one moment to remove our lives, 